everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. Gunstock Mountain Resort is now open for the winter season. Enjoy top to bottom skiing and riding, and remember to take a moment to stop and take in that iconic view from the summit. One of, one of our 10 best we chose last month in New England Ski Magazine. Check out our tubing hill for thrills and laughs and night sessions with the most lit terrain in New England for all you night owls. Book your lift tickets, rentals, and tubing online in advance. Check out our upcoming events at gunstock.com. Embrace the chill this winter at Gunstock. And discover what you've been missing when you visit Burke Mountain, the last little corner of Vermont. Located only seven miles off Interstate 91, the slopes are closer than you think. Take advantage of their incredible midweek deals like $45 Monday through Friday lift tickets or Wicked Wednesdays where three people can ski or ride for the price of one. That's right. You and two of your friends can ski and ride for just 15 bucks a piece every Wednesday non-holiday. Incredible. To learn more, book your overnight stay at the Ski In, Ski Out Burke Mountain Hotel or purchase lift tickets, visit SkiBurke.com. I'm your host, Eric Wilbur editor of New England Ski Journal magazine. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Specian. Mike, how are you? Absolutely fantastic, Eric. The skiing has all of a sudden gotten really good. It's it's February, and it's starting to look like February. A lot of New England, which is exciting, especially with school vacation this week and all that happening. It's a busy time in New England skiing. One thing I did want to bring up to you, though, do you know what one of our, our most popular stories we've had on the, on the website SkiJournal.com, that's the, the home of New England Ski Journal Online. One of the most popular stories we've had in, the, in recent weeks is a review or a preview I did of E. John B. Allen, who is a noted New England ski historian, has a new book out, uh, just released last November, called Traveling the Old Ski Tracks of New England. In disclosure, I was asked to read an advanced copy of the manuscript, so I, I do have a blurb on the back. But that doesn't change the fact that the book introduces us to some of the most notable timelines in skiing's history in New England. From the, the original ski clubs that formed in Massachusetts to forgotten stories of ski areas long gone, each state in New England received its own focus. And it really got me started to get back into my ski history sort of wheel here about diving into the, the sport and wondering where or how we got to to here from where we started in New England. And, and, and I know, Mike, you are one of the best people to ask about the skiing history in the region and, and exactly some of the momentous changes that have happened over the years. Yeah, Eric, New England, like, like the revolution, okay, back in 1776, New England was a big part of what happened in this country. Same thing in the ski industry. Just a huge part of helping to build out what we have today across this country for skiing. I, I think so much of it, coming out of the Great Depression, the New Deal and the CCC really created something super unique here in New England that is nowhere else in this country. I mean, like Taft Trail on Cannon Mountain or the Thunderbolt, I mean, on Mount Greylock. Or we even ski it today, Perry Merrill at, at Stowe. These were all trails that were created back coming out of the Great Depression. You know, what, what about ski areas, Eric? What ski areas were, what type of time frame were they built out? Well, we have the, the formerly known as Shawnee Peak, which is now Pleasant Mountain once again. 38, correct? 
Yes, I believe that was the correct date. Sparta Milk, 1936. Saskadania, which was formerly Suicide Six, 1934. Black Mountain, 1935. I mean, we're talking real history here. We're not talking, hey, we've been around for 20 years. Here's a, here's a, a free coupon or something, right? Yeah, they, they have been around for an awful long time. Maybe they're not the Okimos or the Sugarloafs, but those hills were there also. But they all started with rope toes. They all started with surface lifts before chair lifts. Even, even at Cranmore, the ski-mobile. Right. It's, it's just amazing how all of this started in New England and the history that it has brought forth. I think what is really amazing in today's current state of the ski industry, whether it be at Vail or whether it be at Stowe, what the 10th Mountain Division and the war did, World War II did to create whole industry here. Right. If you haven't read Climb to Conquer, the, the book on that, on the 10th Mountain Division, it really is a fascinating read and introduces you to a pivotal, I don't think that's overstating it, a pivotal stretch in skiing history, not just here, but around the world, correct? Yes, it changed. It, it created today's ski industry. The greatest generation, not only did they save democracy, but they created the industry that you and I love so dearly. And you bring up the ski mobile. I mean, there are there are remains of the ski mobile here and there throughout North Conway, right? You can see one here, you can see one there. Same thing with the single chair at Stowe. What are, what are some of the the other lifts that we've seen that have really made change that started in New England here? Well, I know you love Wildcat. I love it. You love it, okay? How can you not love two thousand vertical feet looking out at Tuckerman's Ravine? I mean, it's as good as it comes. But you look at that old two-person gondola that went up at Wildcat. It was possibly the coldest lift I've ever <laughs> ridden in my life. I've only, I, I do date back to that lift. I've only ridden it a handful of times. And it is truly something to size. When you look at them now, I, I believe there's one outside out front of Delaney's The Hole in the Wall, which is for sale, by the way. I can't believe it. I know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I would love to buy it, but I think they want like 5.1. I just don't have that right now. Um, but you look at like that, that gondola, you're like, how did one person fit in that? Never mind two people. Truly remarkable. Yeah. I remember the first time I wrote it and it had to have been like our, not quite as bad as the current polar vortex that we had a, a week or so ago. But it was, it was that cold. All I wanted to do was get out of it. <laughs> Changing that to a high-speed quad that I'd rather be in the wind than in that ice box. But you also look at the old single chair at Stowe. I mean, before gondolas, before high-speed quads, that chair and the current one at Mad River Glen were, were iconics. And then... Everybody knows where Gandhi line is at Sugarloaf, mm -hmm. and they know where that terminal is up at the top of the mountain. That gondola used to be a cold gondola also, just so you know. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Skiing and, and baseball are, are, are two sports that I, I'm fascinated by the history of it because I think in both regards, it shows you how the sport grew, where it did well, 
some mistakes it made along the way. I think baseball is littered with that, with those sorts of things, right? I mean, you talk baseball history and, and going to Cooperstown is, is it's a dream. It's, it's a mission, but with skiing, it's kind of the same way. Like you learn things along the way, you learn what worked, you learn what didn't work. And I have such respect for the, the previous decades that it just gives me comfort to kind of come home and, and see my ski posters there and, and see the old railway and, and, in Vermont and, and seeing Ski Vermont, old style posters. It's, it just adds a real level of comfort to that home that knowing that that, that history has helped make me a part of what I am. And, and I show respect to it by sort of enjoying in that history and trying to, I have a, a, a the, the old Tuckerman's Ravine poster, the, the, the Dartmouth race, that's, I've got that sitting behind my couch at home. Having those sorts of identifiers are important to me, and I think taking that history and becoming a part of it is, is extremely useful for skiers in this region. And Mike, so much history. I don't know a ton of history, but I do love learning about it. And coming up next, we're going to have Janet White. If you don't know who Janet White is, she is the executive director of the International Skiing History Association, which is a, a, a great association that's out of Vermont. And uh, she knows more skiing history than I can ever imagine. And she's going to be a great resource to kind of discuss the history of the sport and, and why it's important and why we should pay attention to it. We'll have Janet White coming up right after this. Get ready to winter like you mean it. Make tracks to Stratton for a big mountain experience with corduroy cruisers, tree-lined trails, new terrain parks, miles of glades, all with snow so great it's guaranteed. Book your lodging at the heart of the resort and discover everything you love about winter is right outside your door. Like snow tubing, snowmobile tours, snowshoe treks, cross-country skiing. Then there's Stratton Village for shopping, dining, après, and late nights. Stratton.com to save on lift tickets and lodging packages. Great Glen Trails Outdoor Center is your one-stop adventure destination this winter. No lift lines, just great grooming and magical vistas. Classic snow tubing hill with hot cocoa and s'mores on the weekends. Try a guided snow coach tour. Grab your reservation to Treeline on Mount Washington. Private and group lessons for skiers of all ages and all abilities. Evening snowshoe tours and so much more. Check the website for booking options and details as well. GreatGlenTrails.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. Joining us on the old Zoom line right now is Janet White, the Executive Director of the International Skiing History Association. Janet, welcome. And can you tell us what the International Skiing History Association is? What are your duties, et cetera? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Eric and Mike. AISHA is a nonprofit whose mission is to preserve and advance the knowledge of ski history and increase public awareness of the sport's history. We're supported through generous sponsors, donors, and members, and we're most well-known for our bi-monthly magazine, which is called Skiing History. It comes out every other month. It's in full color, has old ads, carefully researched stories. It's also available in seven languages in a digital format on our website. So that's really, we're virtual. Other than that, we don't have a, a collection or a museum or anything. And that's really our face to the consumer. Our board is made up of a super talented group of ski industry people. 
that range from historians to for the Edmund Clinic, previous Olympic ski coach. So it's a super talented group that is really vested in the history. And then, Eric, you're familiar with our annual award, mm-hmm. which we consider the Pulitzer Prize of skiing books and films. And we give those awards annually in conjunction with the Hall of Fame inductions. And I was lucky enough to receive one of those last year in Sun Valley for 30 years in a white haze. I I was very honored for that and one of the highlights of my career. So thank you very much to Aisha for recognizing. Yeah. And it was fantastic that you and your parents were able to be there. That was a really special night. And we, that's kind of the culmination of the work that we do all year long. And, and then we love sharing, um, the work of our award winners with the public. Yeah. And Janet, Janet met my parents and my parents are in their early seventies and they're, they're a little slower getting around these days. So they were, I mean, they did not ski with me, but they got around Sun Valley. Okay. And I'm, I'm always concerned about them getting around. Mind you, they are in Houston now. And then they flew to Disney world so they could be alone for the weekend or the week. And I've got to bring their car back to the airport. So they're getting along just fine. Don't worry about that. (laughs) That's good. That it was. It was just such a pleasure to meet them, and it kind of brings the Sun Valley. Really, is a great location for that event because it is so. Just that village is so so easy to get around, and everything's close. So. Oh right! Just even going to the Sun Valley Lodge and looking at the photos they have in the in the lobby there is just it's 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 truly a wonder just just to invest yourself in that history there. Yeah, I feel like it's such a special place. It should be on anybody's bucket list, particularly if you have an interest in skiing history. And I remember the first time I walked into the Sun Valley Lodge and I I just said, pinch me. So There is so much history out there. Eric, I want to say congratulations to you and Dan on the award. Well, thank you. If anybody has not gotten that book, get it, read it. Just a fun, fun read of of the episodes of Mr. Egan and what has been accomplished by a great New England skier. Janet, skiing history, why is knowing the skiing past so important as we move to the future of skiing? Yeah, it's a really thoughtful question, Mike. Personally, I look at history and when I I read about people, I, I like to honor those who have given us what we have today. It's pretty amazing when you when you get into any piece of history to think about how hard people worked to make things happen. I mean, look at the 10th Mountain Division and Hannes Schneider, who will come up a lot. And just, I mean, look at snowmakers today. So, so that's just a piece to really appreciate what we have to be able to go skiing and do what we love. John Fry, who led our organization for many years and is a a legend himself, he always said you can derive more enjoyment from sport if you know something about the past. And I like to think about Cranmore as an example of that. I mean, Cranmore is a super accessible mountain right in the center of North, North Conway. And anybody could just go have a great day go out for beer after, and that was awesome. But if you took a few minutes 
to learn anything about the history of Carol Reed wanting a place to give lessons. And there's a name that, does anybody know that that ski shop, that Carol Reed was an actual person that made these things happen? As, and, as an ex-employee, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. And, and then Hannes Schneider coming from Austria, having been released from the Nazis and being able to come over to, to bring skiing technique to us. And then seeing that statue of Hannes Schneider, when you drive up to Cranmore, you were bringing that up earlier, Mike. It, it just, it makes the place so special. And so I, I think that that's why, and in, in any kind of history, if you understand why changes took place and how things evolved, then that's going to help you continue in the evolution of ski areas and ski equipment and ski retail, all of, all of what we enjoy today. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Cranmore because in a few weeks, Cranmore is going to be having the Hannes Schneider Cup, which is a celebration of its history in the region, in the Mount Washington Valley. And that North Conway area is so steeped in history. What do events like that, how do events like that help help us appreciate what we've had in the past, but also younger generations about how much, how different it is today than what it was 40, 50 years ago? Yeah, it, it, it's that race, Eric, I'm glad you brought it up. And I, and I raced in it last year. And it is a great segue to the younger generation because that's the premier New England Ski Museum fundraising event. And when I was there last year, I was like, wow, this thing has really evolved. I mean, they've got these teams of ringers racing that thing now. Like the first time I did it like many years ago, it's like mostly a lot of people in their vintage gear and stuff like that, which is really fun and the Oompa Band and everything. But now there's also this whole cadre of racers in their GS suits and they are loving that day. So it really brings everybody together and you've got your vintage fashion show, the Oompa Band, and it's, it's a really nice event for all generations. Yeah, Cranmore as a whole and the whole North Conway area to Black, one of the original ski areas in New Hampshire, really just show so much history from the ski trains to the ski mobile. It's an amazing spot. You brought up the ski museum. Um, we have some ski museums across New England. How do they play into getting the ski history message out there? Yeah, the ski museums are amazing. I mean, the New England Ski Museum has both their locations in over at Cannon in Franconia and in North Conway now, which has only been open maybe five years now. So, you know, that's that's phenomenal because you've got such a North Conway is is such a tourist location that we're able to bring that history to more people right in the downtown there. And then you've got the main ski museum, which is opening a new facility on the access road to Sugarloaf. You've got the Vermont Ski Museum at Stowe. So these are really special little places that people can visit. And they're becoming also having more of a presence on social media and able to get their message out and shared more. 
I recently read, I'm not sure if you, if you've read it, Janet, um, E. John B. Allen's new book, Traveling the Old Ski Tracks of New England, where he does a, a great job of sort of personalizing his own history of skiing in New England, along with the, the, the deep roots of how skiing really got started here. And, and it's fabulous. I, I knew a lot of the stuff that he talks about, but when you read it in this sort of, you know, encompassed little area and, you, and you, you delve yourself into it, it's very, very interesting to get sort of this feeling about, okay, yes, yeah, skiing has a long history here, but getting the particulars of it and, and understanding just how big the sport grew here in New England is remarkable to kind of learn about. Yeah, I'm really glad you had the opportunity to read that. Hot off the press, Eric, that book, Traveling the Old Ski Tracks of New England, actually is one of our award winners yep. this year. So I was literally just putting together the press release for that. And John Allen is an incredible historian who's on the board of the New England Ski Museum. So it, it's one of those things I feel like, like we were talking about earlier with why is history important? It, it's the more you know, the more you know. And Mike, like reading Eric and Dan's book, 30 Years in a White Haze, it's like anybody of our generation that worked at Carol Reed or Ski Market or just was in the industry, like reading that book, it, it's like you read so many names. And I mean, even my son, who's almost 30, read that book and he's like, Mom, I, I like I knew everybody in that book. Those are all your friends. <laughs> it is. It, 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 writing the book was, was you realize just how much of an impact certain individuals have had on, on skiing. And you, it's something like you always knew, but when you actually talk to these people and you get their full stories and you realize in the grand scheme of things, like what these people have meant to skiing, not just here, but in America and across the, around the world, it truly is remarkable to, to know that this is a, a, a I don't want to say breeding ground for this history, but it really is like New England skiing has such a unique flavor and, and, and background to it that it's, it's wonderful to learn about it. Yeah. Yeah. New England is a unique spot reading these books like Dan and Eric's book or the book about Doug Coombs. And when you, when you go back and you realize that you knew the players, you knew the events because you lived them is just just amazing. That's, that's the fun about reading these books is, is realizing, wow, I remember that. There's some good things. You brought up your son, Janet. Yeah. Y you guys were a skiing family. Eric doesn't know this. I'm going to bring him up to snuff here. Janet's son, Ben, actually skied all the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire before he graduated from high school. Amazing. That's yeah. unbelievable. That was a goal he put forth for himself. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's he, amazing. That, yeah. He was inspired by Chris Davenport and the 14ers and uh, sort of applied that to, okay, you know, what, well, I knew I live in Massachusetts. <laughs> what can I do? So it was a, it was a pretty cool project that he put together. And I have to say that I don't, I don't think that there were many people that, that thought that he would be able to do that, but it, it was pretty cool to see it happen. Well, you have two driven kids. I know anything is possible with them. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're pretty great. This summer, we're going to, to Cooperstown, which is I, my first visit to Cooperstown was about eight years ago. And I was, I was a total dork. Like I could not get over the fact that I was looking at Roger Clemens glove or Ty Cobb's shoe. And it was for me just such a, an emotional experience that I can't wait to go back. Uh, yeah. My kids are, are they're, they're 15, they're 13 and, and 10. I don't know if they're excited to go to Cooperstown. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they think about seeing stuff like that. And it makes me wonder, like, how do we get sort of the history of skiing message out to a younger audience? And, and how do we keep this train moving? I know that's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. And, and it was interesting when I was actually interviewing for this job and I was speaking with Winnie Jones, who's on our board. She was the designer for Rafi. And when I brought up my son, she said, does he like skiing history? And I said, well, what do you consider skiing history? Because I said, he, I think our, I think the kids get it from movies. And so if you're talking, my feeling is meet them where they are, Eric. Like, let's not try to jam down the Norwegians on their wooden skis. <laughs> just yet to yeah. these kids but that, that was lesson you know, number one so you've ruined it for me <laughs> yeah yeah so meet meet them meet them where they are and I, I was talking to Mike it's like I think we're the old one and now don't laugh but you I mean Bodie Miller Glenn Play, Dan Egan these guys are skiing history now I mean actually Lindsey Vaughn is now skiing history 100 percent um and her book is an Aisha Award winner this year. So, you know, my feeling about getting the youth involved in history is see what they like, meet them where they are, understand what history is to them. They are loving 80s days in the spring. And they're all bringing out our old neon and having the, I, I think every ski area now has it. It just kind of evolved into 80s day, right? It, like it started with the pond scam and somehow these outfits all came out and that's, it's a thing, right? So I think, I don't know, to get back to you bringing your kids to Cooperstown, are there some movies that would grab them about all before they go that would make it a little bit more exciting? Good idea. No, I, I think... You made a huge point, Janet, that history isn't just 100 years ago. History is yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's, that's how we have to engage. It's the Sean Whites of the world are now great history, what they've right. done. And yeah. I think we, we need to embrace that and not get our pigeonhole that the ski mobile is the only history in the world. Exactly. Exactly. What makes, what makes history for fun, fun for them? And I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm such a ski racer fan girl. Like, I mean, to be a young female ski racer and following Lindsay and Michaela Schifrin and understand like, you're going to grow up going, this was a really great time in 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 u.s skiing ski racing history so i i again i just say meet them with what's interesting to them and take it from there and like i said 
the more you know, the more you know. So they start kind of digging in. Like Lindsay's mentor was Peekaboo and she came out with that book, Peekaboo. So that starts getting you into Peekaboo. So it, history just keeps keeps evolving. Why has Alberta Tomba not done a memoir or anything big? Or why has he not turned into like a multimedia star, right? Right. What's up with Tomba? I'll look into that. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, you would think, like people said Rob Gronkowski after he retires is going to become this huge media star. And we've seen flashes of it here and there. But Alberto yeah. Tomba, just the, the energy and, and the, 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 not obsession, but just like what he brought to the TV screen in the late 80s, early 90s was just on, no one has done it since in the, in the world of skiing. And it's an unforgettable name yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah. It, he was incredible. All I can think of right now, Eric, as you talk about this, because he's, he doesn't have 80 for Brady. That's it. <laughs> that is true. That is a good point. But yeah, even when I was writing the book about the extreme skiing in the 80s, I, that was what I grew up with. So diving into that history was, was fascinating to me. Even more fascinating, though, was going back into the annals of, of uh, the, the freestyle area, er, era and, and, and the hot doggers of the early 70s and seeing how that progressed and how that turned into this whole controversy of judging and, and all that. I had never known any of that until I started doing the research for the book. And it was truly fascinating to, you know, see what we enjoy today as skiing and where it has come from in the past 30 years and to see all these little bits and pieces of stop gaps along the way where you could kind of point out important dates along the way. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. And the, I'm not sure if you picked up on this last year at Sun Valley, Eric, but uh, freestylers have such a uh, camaraderie yep. among them. I mean, and and they all show up every year. They've they've just got this crew: Susie Chafee and Genya Fuller, and they just they they really have a tribe and have a great time together. So. It's, it's nice to see them continue that and great contribution to the sport as well. Janet, you and I have just an incredible background together, friendships, people that we've grown up with, just an amazing time. I've got one question for you. History-wise, skiing history-wise, what one event, you're a lifetime skier, but what one event really made you who you are with your view of skiing in the ski world can you come up with one oh. one event i mean one. i think that our job i mean mike and i worked for i don't know 20 years at the ski market and and i think that carol reed bob ferguson they really democratized skiing by bringing these you remember barrels of ski poles and skis and piles of ski wear and everything that were bought sort of on the secondary market and bringing it to Boston and everything. So working in that environment where skiing was such a, a growth time was, it was, it wasn't like work, but we, we worked so hard and it was kind of a work hard, play hard. That really, that job really stuck with me through life and, and really created the lifelong friendships and I anywhere I go I know somebody skiing Mike and I kind of went through what our little traveling schedules around New England would be and who we were going to see along the way so I don't I don't know if I'm 
it, if I really answered your question. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a tremendous answer because the bottom line is life, lifelong skiers with the history of where people have come from and the friendships that developed out of them are what the skiing community is completely about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I have a friend of mine who might, in fact, a, a college roommate, she always says it all goes back to the ski market. And, and, and it, I, I mean, I, my best friends, Christine, Sheila, Bernie, like everybody, it really goes back to those friendships that were started so many years ago, but we didn't just like work together and go home. Then we went skiing and we would work 80 hours at Bayside doing that ski show. And then we would jump in the car and run up to Killington for demo days. And you, when you work like that and then you get on a chairlift and revel together and ski together. And I have to mention Mike Bisner because he really was the glue of it all too. <laughs> and still, he's still a best friend and great, great mentor to my kids and everything so and a great ambassador to the ski world so yeah. uh, so the one thing with history is you worry about it well you hope it repeats itself sometimes and then you worry about it repeating itself sometime uh, <laughs> is there anything in the current state of the ski industry right now that concerns you about the sport moving forward huh. that could be a loaded question i you think that i think we're in a transitional time uh, the the Mike was kind of asking earlier about what are the things that impacted New England skiing. And from a history perspective, you look at like the getting lifts and then transportation, having snow trains and getting people there and then snowmaking and the development of the ski areas. I think where we are now is the whole thing with the ski passes. It's it's it's. It's been huge and it's honestly, I think it's kind of consuming for sure in, in New England, it's consuming the conversation. And I do, I believe it will, it will all settle out, right? The, the market is going to, is going to dictate what's going to happen. But I think that we're, we're in a, a really different time where there, here we've been saying that we want to. We want skiing to be more accessible. We want it to be more diverse. We want it to be more inclusive. And yet we're charging $30 for parking and we've got heated seats and bubbles over us. And <laughs> so I, I do believe that um, it will settle out. People are being pushed to your indie passes and your, your small areas, which I absolutely love. People are saying, forget it, and getting more into backcountry and more into cross-country. And so it, where there's growth, there's, there's always pain, but, but eventually we all get better. And, and I think that we're just, we're in a crossroads right here where, where that's kind of the big thing that's happening. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more about International Skiing History Association, where should they go? Yeah, so our website is skiinghistory.org. And it's honestly, and by the way, it, we're about to release a new website, so it will be a lot easier to navigate. But there's an offer for a free trial issue on there. And there's a code 
and maybe Eric, you can offer this somehow to your listeners on your site or something to get your first year for $12. All right. Excellent. I, I get the skiing history magazine. I love it when it comes in. It's a nice little respite from the day to just go and, and dive into and geek out over skiing history. Yeah. And it's pretty much the only skiing magazine that's still in print. Now well, besides the New England, England Ski, Ski Journal, Journal. Let's, yes. not, let's not yeah. get crazy here, Jen. Okay. Yeah. No, I know. I know. And, but it, it's, it's just so unusual now to be able to, it, it's a, it's just such a pleasure to be able to sit on a couch and flip through an actual magazine and read articles. So. Well, Janet, I want to thank you for joining us today and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping skiing history alive through the work you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate a call anytime at seven in the morning, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked, didn't it? It did. It did. So no, I, I, it's great to see you guys and always fun to chat. Excellent. Thank you very much, Janet. It was a pleasure. Janet White, executive director of the International Skiing History Association. You can find out more about them at skiinghistory.org. Janet, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care, guys. Take care. New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast will return after this. Eagle Crest isn't your average community ski area. We're on an island in Alaska. We have panoramic ocean views a 1,600-foot vertical drop, big mountain terrain, incredible backcountry access, less crowds, more snow, and some pretty historic streaks. It's now 50 consecutive days with snowfall. You can't drive here. You have to fly or ferry, which means shorter lines and untracked powder. We have great community. We're affordable. We have an amazing learning center. But it's not just the skiing and riding. Juno has a lot to offer. And we're right here waiting. If you want to be inspired and informed on everything about the New England ski and outdoor scene, then you need to check out SkiJournal.com. SkiJournal.com delivers daily content on breaking industry news, tips, gear, dining, travel, entertainment, as well as all archived episodes of the Emmy-nominated New England Ski Journal TV show and the Basecamp podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to New England Ski Journal, the longest-running regional ski magazine in the country. New England Ski Journal's award-winning writers and photographers Bring all four seasons to your door with best-in-class coverage on skiing and the outdoors. Log on to SkiJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to get New England Ski Journal mailed to you today. New England Ski Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. And now, back to the Base Camp Podcast. Eric, you know what? Skiing history, what what Janet is doing, what the association is doing is so needed in in the skiing world right now. It truly is. I mean, I think that history of any sort, one, it teaches us lesson, but two, it also it teaches us how we got here. 
and I, and I think that that's important in a, in a landscape where changes need to be made, whether that's for inclusion or, or cost or lift access or snowmaking or global warming, like all these things that we've done in the past and, and, and we've made mistakes on, we have a chance to sort of fix or to keep going the right way. And I think that's where history is most important. I mean, look, I could sit here and give you some kind of dissertation about history and how it's the most important subject we learn in school because we need to know how not to repeat our mistakes. I can't do that. But I can tell you that, you know, from a skiing perspective, the history of the sport in New England is truly a lot deeper than you may think of on the surface. Yeah, it is. I mean, when when we look at who we are as individuals today, we look back at what our parents embedded in us. There's a big thing about ancestry right now, going back to find your roots. Well, skiing has roots also that are, are so important that made Vail what Vail is today, made Mount Snow what Mount Snow is today. And I think we just need to embrace that completely and heed the past and look towards the future. And also just seeing how far the sport has come, right? I think oh. I saw the other day a, a photo of, the parking lot at Mount Snow on a, a sunny Saturday, and it was packed with all these old Chryslers or whatever they were. And it was just, it, it brought a sense of connection to that time that I'm doing something with my time now that I'm so passionate about that they were 40 years ago doing the same thing and seeing how much better I have it than they have it or how much better they had it than I have it. It can go both ways. And just understanding the advancements we've made in the sport. This by no history by no means means you want to go back there, right? Trust me, I will wear whatever I'm wearing on the mountain this weekend and not want to trade it for whatever I was wearing in 1982. I don't even remember what it was. I just know it probably wasn't warm. And I was probably wearing jeans to boot. Those are historic his, his, that's a history you don't want to repeat. But understanding that and knowing the mistakes you made along the way, like, oh yes, skiing in the starter jacket and the jeans, not exactly the best. But, but, 1982, you were wearing a CB shell. Red. You can do it again today, red and with, it looks just the same. It was red with a blue stripe. I will never forget it. And my, my dad and I had them both. He had a blue one with a pink stripe, and I thought that was the coolest thing, that he could wear pink. And I'm going to put in a plug for my good friend, CB Vaughn. CB is back. And that same thing from 1982, you can buy today. Well, I'm going to put a plug in for the New England Ski Journal. The February edition hitting newsstands in a matter of days has a feature on CB jackets and their revival. Love it. Well, we, we were talking about chairlifts, some of the old chairlifts and mobiles and stuff. There's history and things change. Where do, where do, what did we gain by going to some of the new lifts today, the new ones that are out there? Mm -hmm. I mean, it... I have, I have a tough time with lifts and having the, the new next best lift because to me, like when Okimo debuted that bubble lift a few years ago, I rolled my eyes and said, no, like we don't need this. Are you serious? And then I bring my three kids on it and they love it. And I have to understand that again, much like the social media mandates or not mandates, but the social media that, that surrounded the, the polar vortex and people saying, like, oh, you're a tough New Englander. I realized that, that that doesn't have to be part of skiing, right? Part of skiing can just be an enjoyment of, of others enjoying the sport. And if, if my daughter is having a, a more fun time because she got to ride a bubble lift and her butt was warm for 10 minutes, so be it. 
and, and I think that you look at lifts like the Wildcat Express, and you're like, that is just, that's probably the premier lift in all of New England because of the speed that it gets you up to the top of Wildcat. Um, and then there's lifts like, I, I love riding the old slow lift at Black Mountain. And part of that is because if you're at Black, Black Mountain and it's, it's been a dump day, that your legs need that break, right? I don't need to be shuttled up as fast as possible to the top of the mountain so I can go down again within the, the last five minutes. So I think that some of the advancements we've made in lifts are amazing as long as we have the territory that can can handle that, right? Like Wildcat, as many people as they shift up to the top of the mountain, that mountain can handle it. If we're talking about the high-speed lift going into Atatash next year, how is the top of that mountain going to be able to handle it? Because that gets pretty runoff now. So lifts lifts can, can, can be a, a godsend, and they can also sort of change the face of your mountain. And... Over history, lifts have done exactly that. And some have been better than others. Some have not worked as well, like the ski mobile. But, you know, I think the the magic carpets that we've seen over the past 20 years or so now, it, it has been remarkable in watching my kids adapt to that. And then looking back to the early 80s when I started skiing and I was on a J-bar, right? It, it's it's unbelievable to see sort of the, the ease and the advancements of... If I told my kids, like, we're going to go skiing and the conditions and the equipment were the same as when I learned at their age, I don't know if I would have gotten them into it as easy, right? Because it's a different world, and it's not like it was in 1982, right? We've got a lot more to, to, to keep our attention on. Just so many different advancements over the years that have truly transformed the face of skiing and, and how we gravitate towards it, really. Well, I once again, we use this term quite often, different, maybe not better. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want to go back to a car without power steering. I don't know about you. Precisely. Okay. But things change and you've got to know the past and embrace the future because things are going to continually move forward. I mean, look at passes. Passes when you and I were skiing, there were single hill passes. There were day tickets or there were nobody was checking ticket days. <laughs> Oops. But the bottom line is, it all changed on passes with ASC, I think. Yep. That was the first one. And that was in, what was my first ASC pass? 2003, 2002, maybe? I, I, I don't remember. But in that time frame, and that was, that was unheard of. You buy this pass and you can ski Atatash, Sunday River, I believe Sugarloaf was Sugar, Sugarloaf. Sugarloaf, Sugarbush. And Killington. Uh, and I, I said and Killington. Was there one more? Mount uh, Snow. Mount Snow. Right? That was amazing. And it was like 500 bucks, 600 bucks at that point. And this is 20 years ago. And then a funny thing happened. Those went away. And we didn't really see a return of that sort of pass until what? Five, six years later when the, when the Epic Pass came out. Yeah. It, it hit us here quite a bit later. Colorado, of course, up and down the I-70 belt started the the trend but Les Otten started this yes and it became look I had one of the first ASC passes it was awesome because I could go anywhere I wanted when I wanted it was it was a fun time but but I do remember the complaints then about that pass were the primary complaint was overcrowding Mm -hmm. and here we are 20 years later and the biggest complaint with Icon and Epic is 
overcrowding. So it, it leads me to ask, are we paying attention to our history and are we going to repeat the same mistakes? Ooh, you know what? We just had on John from Canon recently and he talked about limiting passes and so on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the big guys with the passes are tending not to keep everything under control, but the little guys understand that quality over quantity is very important for an experience. And that's why we have options. There used to be a, back 10 years ago when Boston was winning every championship under the sun, we had a saying that as much as we like to romanticize history, these are the good old days. And there is a lot of that in skiing as well. Like these are the good old days. The old days are something to respect and enjoy. But, you know, I think it was that social media thing from the polar vortex that really put me in a bad space because I I just think that respect history, love history, doesn't mean you're married to history. The, the, the way that things were in the olden days were great. I'm glad you appreciated them. I'm not, like you said, I'm not going back to black and white TV. It's just not. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to standard definition, right? The future is is what it is. We don't know what it is, but the present is a way of making sure that the past is respected and that we utilize it to our advantage. And in skiing, there's plenty that we can do in both avenues. 100%. I, I think as we look to the past and what the past gave us. Equipment, I'm an equipment guy. That's what I've done my whole life. Equipment really shows how the move to the future with what we learned from the past has given us a better skiing experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Northland skis, we're, we talked about the 10th Mountain Division a little while ago. Northland skis, a Laconia, New Hampshire, and a Minnesota company. Skis were made in Laconia back then. Our soldiers used them in World War II. But you look at that back in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and then how it translated into head skis and just revolutionized the whole skiing industry. Did we ever look back and say Northlands weren't good? No, they were great. But my goodness, head head skis, metal skis changed skiing back in the 50s. Yep. And it If you're at all interested in skiing history and kind of diving into it, again, International Skiing History Association is at skiinghistory.org. If you have not visited the either the New England Ski Museum at either location at Cannon or North Conway, it's it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm in the Mount Washington Valley, particularly when you go to the back of the museum and they just have periodicals from decades, decades past of ski, skiing magazine, powder magazine. You're just able to sit there and flip through it. I could spend hours back there. And the Vermont Ski and Snowboard Museum, which is right in downtown Stowe, is another great destination to, to pop into on your way up Mountain Road. Lots of great areas out there to enjoy history um, and, and, to, and to sort of learn about how important our region has been to the sport of skiing. It, it truly is remarkable. It's a great journey. You get to see the evolution of skiing from the great people that made skiing in New England what it is today you're going to see the pictures. You're going to see the history behind it to the lift changes, to the equipment changes, because each one of these museums is going to show this change. So heed the past, learn the past, embrace the future, 
And by the way, there's something cool coming next year, which I don't know if you know about, Eric, but ski boots have always been a unique situation out there because everybody's looking for that magic fit. Well, next year, embracing the future, BOA is coming to plastic ski boots next year, which has never happened in the Alpine world. So what what we're doing is if you look to the past and embrace the future, you're going to have a great ride. And I know that my, I've had my boots for the past nine years now, and they just about, I think I've finally, finally wore them in after nine years, which means I'm going to keep them for about 20. So, negative, negative. So, so yeah, I, I, I will be looking into a new pair of boots soon. And maybe, maybe that's, maybe I take the plunge and try something new and start a new history with me and my ski boots. Well, I want to just implore everybody to make sure they stop at the ski museums around New England, get to know the history, embrace it. And at the same time, when you're skiing those trails, we talked about skiing trails that World Cup skiers skied on. How about skiing a trail that Hannah Schneider skied on? It's very cool. I and, mean, and definitely check the websites for these museums. The Red Bench series is a, I think it's a monthly outing or, 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 or reading or meeting that they have at the Stowe with a different, a different guest each time. I was lucky enough to be at the Red Bench series about a year ago, and that was a pleasure. And it, it's, it's always fun to be able to talk history of skiing and, and really to learn about the history of skiing because, look, I, I eat, breathe, and, and eat, breathe, and sleep skiing, but I'm more in tune with where we're going. So to take a step back and, and to learn about where I am and why it's so special is, is, is truly a lot and it's, it's really important. Mike, thank you very much. This is a great show. Eric, we, we diverged from ski areas this time yep. because we felt that everybody understanding the importance of our history in the ski world, the importance of the history in this country of skiing is an important part of who we are as skiers. Yep, and you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. Uh, Mike, thank you very much. I am Eric Wilbur, editor of New England Ski Journal. That was the Basecamp Podcast. We will see you on next week's episode. Take care. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful.